This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Beware the Redwood Bureau, a secret organization which captures and researches creatures and objects that defy explanation. Their reckless procedures have led to countless innocent lives lost. I am Agent Conroy. I worked for the Redwood Bureau, but I have escaped them to leak their reports to the unsuspecting public. You have the right to know. Did you know that pigs can digest almost every part of a human? They can make a whole body disappear in mere hours, leaving nothing but teeth behind. It's quite a disturbing fact, I know. Many of my colleagues preferred not to think about the countless number of things around them that could kill them every single day at their desks. Some even managed to convince themselves that nothing out of the ordinary was going on at all, and that they were simply normal office workers. I don't blame them, really. Sometimes the most rational explanation can bring the most closure. Some, though, cannot so easily forget the horrors lurking around every corner. Either way, we should all count ourselves lucky that no pigs have developed a particular taste for human flesh. None that I know of, anyway. Though I suppose that this entity, if it truly is what it appears to be, suggests otherwise. The following report was extracted directly from the surviving victim's memory a few weeks after the incident known to Redwood Bureau agents simply as Pigpen. It was taken under the guise of a brain scan at his local hospital. I implore listeners to take its lessons to heart and to exercise caution when visiting places where you may not be welcome. Christ. Come on, idiot. We're here. My book hits the floor of the car with a resounding thud as Dave whacks me on the back of my head. I twist around to face him and see the offending bottle clenched tightly in his hand like a baseball bat. A plastic water bottle that he had filled with vodka, presumably stolen from our mother's liquor cabinet, before we left. Dave, my half-brother, came to stay with us every other summer. He was a few years older than me and we weren't particularly close. Not that it stopped him from seeking me out and teasing me at every possible opportunity. Maybe instead of reading that shit, you should work out for once, he said puffing out his chest and jutting out his chin, snorting crudely. His poor imitation of an oink did little more than make me cringe, but it made Jordan hunch over himself from the driver's seat as he laughed, swerving the car onto the side of the road and hitting the brakes. Jordan was Dave's part friend, part sidekick, and it didn't take much to impress him. It wasn't that bad, really. He was nice to me when Dave wasn't there. I think that a part of him was afraid of Dave, too. I swing the car door open and step out into the night, a shiver crawling up my spine as I take a deep breath in, the crisp night air acting as a shock to my system. We were in the middle of nowhere, about an hour or so away from the village, judging from the dirt roads that we had been driving on for the last third of our journey. 
Jordan had heard a rumor from someone that the Hendersons had left all of their belongings behind when they abandoned their farm a few months ago. One of his friends had tried to go last week, but saw the shadow of a large figure in the barn and had ran off, not wanting to be caught by the police. No one knows why the Hendersons disappeared or even where they went. Lila, their daughter, had just stopped coming to school one day. Suppliers stopped receiving their produce and that was that. Disappeared without a trace. There were plenty of rumors flying around, of course. The whole family had been kidnapped and trafficked. They were on the run from the police. Mr. Henderson had killed his family and himself in a fit of rage, but nothing with any sort of proof. Police had asked around, but no evidence was found to suggest foul play, so the case went cold shortly after with no real conclusion. Whatever happened, it caused them to leave their home behind in a hurry and apparently untouched. David wanted to go check it out to see if there was anything that he could steal and pawn off, and I think Jordan just wanted to mess around and get drunk in a different place than usual. I didn't want to go at all. I had met the Hendersons a few times when they came down to the village. They would stock up on the food that they couldn't grow themselves. Lila was in my class before she disappeared. She was one of the few girls that had treated me like a human being in school, or in general, really. She would bring in a big pitcher of apple juice every year for her birthday. That was her parents' specialty, the highest quality apple orchard for hundreds of miles. They sold other things like milk, bacon, and eggs, yet when I thought of Lila, it was apple alone that I tasted on my tongue. Creepy, Jordan said as he came to stand beside me, staring up at the farm in the distance. Even from here, I could see that it was a lot bigger than I expected. Gray brick walls mottled with dead vines. There was a smaller wooden structure to the side of the house, likely where they kept their animals. Lining the long gravel path leading up to the farm were rows and rows of trees, and bringing my eyes closer, I could see that many of the trees were already wilting. Spindly branches drooped and bare. Thick roots like elephant trunks spiraled on the ground, bulging out of the earth like scarring across the skin. Looking at the dead branches now, I struggled to believe that this orchard was the same one that had been so beloved. Holy shit! Their car is still here! Dave exclaimed. He began to run through the orchard up to the front door. Sure enough, a rusted red car was parked by the house. Leaves piled high on the windscreen. He was out of breath by the time he reached the car, and I shuddered to think of the ridicule that I would receive making the same journey. Dave moves to the house and peers through the small square window on the front door. He steps back and shrugs, and rams himself into the door shoulder first, falling into the hallway as the door burst open. The loud bang penetrates the otherwise silent night, and I flinch at the noise, opening my mouth before I can stop myself. Jesus, are you crazy? What if someone calls the cops? Shut up, dude. No one's around for miles. He rolls his eyes, sneering at me as I start the trek up to the farmhouse. Jordan follows behind me, and the gravel crunches as he drags his feet. We make small talk as we walk up to the house, almost amiable. We usually are in the absence of Dave, who's luckily too distracted looking around the house to mock me as I try to discreetly catch my breath. We arrive on the doorstep and Justin speeds up to overtake me, sneezing as he enters the cloud of dust reawoken by the falling of the door. Inside seems to be even colder than outside an eerie chill wafting through the air. 
The house looks completely untouched, and it would be easy to believe that the family still lived there. Shoes are lined neatly against the wall, coats hanging on a rack above them. A framed photograph looks down at me from the top of the staircase, Lila's frozen smile guilting me for invading her home. I mouth an apology to her, and then immediately feel stupid for doing so. I hear Jordan behind me and turn around to see him rooting around in the pockets of coats, balancing his flashlight precariously between his shoulder and neck in order to leave both hands free. After a few seconds, he fishes out a set of keys from the biggest coat. Dave holds out a hand and Jordan gives him the keys without a word, and Dave walks back out of the house. I peer out to see him opening the abandoned car, making a noise of triumph as he successfully puts the keys into the ignition and revs the engine. This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the EerieCast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve Deshavi as they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the US. Each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode on Falconer, New York, deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry, while Steve separately researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in, or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He pockets the keys as he re-enters the house, deliberately shoving my shoulder as he passes. Jordan roots to the rest of the coats, finding a wallet and dropping it into his jean pocket. Isn't that a little disrespectful? I say. He flashed the light into my eyes and I wince, stepping back. He laughs again, pushing past me and stalking through the hallway into the kitchen. I go to trail behind him when Dave stops me with a hand on my shoulder that clenches just a bit too tight. Why don't you check upstairs? See a girl's bedroom for the first time. He retreats to the back of the house as I heave myself up the staircase. I had always been bigger than my peers and Dave never let me forget it. 
He would bring the other kids into it too, get his group of older friends to push me around and trip me over at lunchtime far after he had gone back home. That's why I liked Lila so much. Even though we weren't friends, she was one of the only people in my class who had never made fun of me. Another wave of guilt passes over me as I slide her bedroom door open and step inside. Clothes and books are scattered everywhere. There are more photos hung on the dark blue walls, mostly of her family, and a few with classmates that I vaguely recognized. The picture over her bed drew my attention the most. She looked to be about 10 years old, nursing a baby pig with a plastic bottle. She looked so happy, staring at someone just behind the camera with a toothy grin. The room looked messy, but not ransacked, and I could see a few pieces of jewelry and other valuables that she would have wanted to take with her, still on the shelves. Another thing that I remembered about Lila was her jewelry. She always wore the same set. I overheard her talking to her friends about it once. A gift from her grandmother who had dementia and lived on the farm to be taken care of by the family. They thought that she must have gotten confused and wandered off one night, never to be seen again. Walking over to take a closer look, I see the familiar pearl earrings and necklace, but no bracelet. I take another cursory glance around the room, but find nothing. She must have been wearing it when she disappeared. I think to myself, before I'm shocked out of my trance by Dave shouting up to me. Hey, come check this out! He oinks again as I walk down the stairs, following him out of the house and into the neighboring barn. His arms are piled high with half-empty bottles of alcohol and ornaments that looked vaguely expensive. The putrid smell hits me like a brick as I enter. The thick stench of rotting meat congealing at the back of my throat. I gag, sputtering as I cover my nose with my sleeve. <laughs> what am I looking at? I say, eyes watering at the horrific owner. Jordan fumbles with the flashlight for a second before flicking it on, illuminating the barn. Holy shit. I say, barely managing to hear myself as the biggest pig that I'd ever seen starts to squeal and grunt loudly. Several substantially smaller pigs in its pen look to have been dead for some time. Skulls caved inwards like deflated balloons. Looking around, I see that the rest of the animals are in similar conditions, all dead, in various stages of decay. To the left are sheep, limbs hidden by their overgrown matted coats. I found your real family! Dave says from the doorway, his pile of junk placed haphazardly beside him. In its place is a rusted old shovel, swinging back and forth in one hand as he tilts his head to look at me in the eye. I recognized the glint in his eye instantly. It was the same glint that he had in fourth grade when he put a bug in my sandwich. The same glint he had when he managed to turn most of my classmates against me. The very same glint that he had earlier today when he goaded and bullied me into coming with him. The rusted shovel catches a moonbeam and glows for just a second until I rush forward and Dave slams the door shut. Dave? Jordan asks confused. I hear Dave slot the metal shovel against the heavy wooden door, effectively locking us in, as I reach the door and clench my hands into fists. Dave, this isn't funny! I shout, fists pounding on the door. Dave starts to laugh from the other side, and a wave of cold fear crashes into me. 
the pig begins to squeal again. A high-pitched grating noise that pierces my eardrums and drowns out my steady stream of pleas and begging. Maybe I should leave you two ladies to it. Take a spin in my new wheels. He shouts, and I can just barely hear the drowned out clanking of metal as he jingles the keys by the door. The pig stops then, and the sudden silence shocks me out of my begging. All is quiet for one lonely second until I hear Jordan whisper, What the fuck? I turn around, and my heart constricts in my chest. The pig stands tall on two stubby hind legs, inky black pupils dilated and sunk into its skull. Its gut is huge and bulging, and yet it's somehow standing straight up, as if dangling from the air. From its position, I can see something new by its hooves, and it takes me a second to realize why my mind is so fixated on it. I see beads. White beads. I gag again. It all made a terrible amount of sense then. How the Hendersons had disappeared without a trace and without even their car. They had never left. They had been right here the entire time. Rotting in the grotesquely bloated stomach of a farm animal. Meters away from their family home. Jordan inches closer to the pig. Urged on by morbid curiosity. I wanted to stop him, but I can't move or speak. The pig is staring straight at me. Distantly, I hear Dave asking me what's happening, taunting me, but I can barely hear anything over the blood rushing through my ears. Jordan moves closer towards the pig, finger reaching out to touch it. My brain thrashes to break out of my stupor, to run, to scream, to stop him, but all I manage to do is squeak out one word. Jordan. Three things happen then. Jordan takes one final step forward, pressing his index finger into the belly of the pig. Dave moves the shovel and swings open the door. Then the pig drops down onto four legs with a horrible scream. Jordan collapsing under its massive weight. Even turned away from me, I can tell that something about Jordan's head is wrong. It looks bent at a strange angle, and I can see the bulge of what looks like bones sticking out of his neck. I turn around and run, nearly knocking Dave off his feet with my urgency. He starts to question me but cuts himself off with a yelp, as the squealing starts anew. And I hear the pounding of hooves behind me as the pig bounds out of the barn, leaping towards me and Dave. Dave overtakes me nearly instantly as we round the house and run into the orchard his arms still piled high with whatever he can find in the house. I see the Henderson's car keys clutched in one hand, and I swallow, realizing with absolute certainty that I'm not going to make it out of this alive. My heart is pounding, and my breath is made up of stuttered, desperate gasps. Dave turns his head to look back at me, his face pale and his smile manic. I always knew you'd be useful for something. While turned around, he can't see the ground in front of him as he runs. But I can. I see a thick root splayed across the path, and I see the look of shock on his face as he trips, arms filled with his loot. He can't catch himself in time, and bottles shatter around him as he falls. As if in slow motion, I can see the keys thrown forward from one outstretched arm. And a bullet of hope shoots through me as I dive towards them. 
I run quicker than before, quicker than ever, not daring to look back as I reach the car, not bothering to clear the windshield of leaves before I jam my key into the ignition. I still don't turn around when the squealing stops, nor when Dave's screams devolve into one of agony. In fact, I don't look back at all. I just drive, still hearing the pounding hooves against the gravel long after I'm gone. I find it hard not to blame myself for what happened. If I didn't take the keys, if I'd somehow convinced him and Jordan not to come, maybe they would have made it out alive. Then I remember the glint in his eye as he looked back at me when we were running, not at all remorseful for leaving me behind to be killed or eaten or God knows what. Well, it does make me feel less guilty most of the time. I never told anyone what happened that night and I don't plan to. Mom reported Dave missing the day after, and the police searched everywhere, even the farm, eventually. I stayed up the whole night when she told me that they would be searching the barn, tossing and turning in a cold sweat at the thought of what they might find. What they might blame on me, but no evidence was found except for a trail of broken glass and blood smeared on the path outside of the house, stopping mere inches away from Jordan's abandoned car. No bodies were found nor will they ever be. But I knew exactly where they were. The Redwood Bureau was alerted to Entity 2405 after a series of unsolved disappearances were flagged in our systems and several agents were dispatched to the Henderson family farm to investigate. Entity 2405 was quickly discovered in the barn as the likely root of these incidents due to its unusually high radiation levels relative to its species. 2405 was fortunately in a docile state, likely still sated by its latest meal, and was safely apprehended and transported to the Bureau for testing. Through further investigation, approximately 20 small white spheres were collected as evidence in the Entity's waste. Twelve were later found to be plastic beads and the remainder identified as half-digested teeth. No other evidence of human origin was found at the scene other than the copious amounts of blood smeared in the barn and on the path. The testing process of Entity 2405 was mostly fruitless. DNA examination revealed that the Entity is compatible to the common pig, but not fully identical, and the current theory among Redwood scientists is that the Entity has been genetically modified from an average pig. The reason and source of this modification whether it be natural or man-made, is currently unknown. Entity 2405 remained calm in Redwood Bureau's holding facilities, apart from one isolated incident resulting in the deaths of three agents, after which its status was changed to lethal. Following this incident, the Bureau made sure to increase the frequency and quality of 2405's feedings. 2405 has since received live food, and no further problems have arisen to date. What the Entity's new diet consists of is not mentioned in the file, but I have a few ideas based on the screams that I often heard from my own desk in the Bureau. After extracting this report, our unwilling narrator was placed under a 12-month period of surveillance by the Redwood Bureau to examine and document the after-effects of his encounter. He is currently residing in a holding cell, being held under suspicion of murder after the police found the Henderson family car in his possession. 
The Redwood Bureau has declined to come forward with the evidence needed to prove his innocence. I considered contacting the victim's mother directly to share this report with her, exonerating one son and revealing the true fate of the other, but have since decided against it. After all, sometimes the most rational explanation, a bullied boy turning on his cruel half-brother, can bring the most closure to those affected. One boy, however, cannot be so lucky as to ignore or rationalize the horrors that he laid witness to that dark night and will surely continue to witness in his nightmares for every night that follows. RPP report 2405 deactivated. I'm Josh Tomar, host of Redwood Bureau. Thank you for listening. Redwood Bureau is a horror fiction podcast and part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. For more dreadful terrors, follow Redwood Bureau on Spotify and iTunes, and check out our other podcasts like Unexplained Encounters and Freaky Folklore on your favorite podcast platform. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch under username Tomamoto, T-O-M-A-M-O-T-O, and my voiceover is featured in a wide variety of your favorite video games, anime, and other animated shows. Until next time, don't forget... This world is a strange one. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.